Welcome to Murder in the Black with Steph and M.B. Welcome back to Murder in the Black. It is your host, Steph. And I'm M.B. And our case for today is called He Did Everything Right. Yeah, it's the case of Darnett Williams. Yeah, and unfortunately, this case is like you can't, essentially, you cannot fault him for anything. And sometimes cases like this always leave me stumped because it's like when you have children, you, you hope to give them like some advice with some cases that we do, like true crime cases. And in this situation, Darnett just did everything right. He didn't do anything wrong. Right. I mean, it, it really does suck. It's a, it's a devastating case in a lot of ways. Yes. So let's get into it. Why don't you grab your coffee if it's the morning and your wine if it's the evening. But either way, let's get into this case. So who is Darnett Williams? Uh, Darnett is actually from Funky Town. Fuck Oh, Fort Worth. Fort Worth, Texas. Blah. Shout out to Funky Town. <laughs> MD yes. shouting out to Funky Town. I'm, listen. I am shouting them out because, listen, anywhere in Texas is better than anywhere else. So. You sure right about that, girl. Yeah. I appreciate that. You're right. You're right. You're right. But he lived in a community. Uh, so Fort Worth is the actual city that he lived, you know, is from. Mm-hmm. Um, but he lived in a community called... that called Carter Park. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you know this area. If you're in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, you've heard of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but he went to a school called O.D. Wyatt. Okay. And um, like most things in Texas, everything was about football. Everything. Texas, football is culture in Texas. It's yes. just like you understand Friday Night Lights, it's going down. I mean, you feel it and you smell it in the air when it's football season. It's just, you know. It's football, exciting. Yeah, it really is. Like, yeah. whether you are into football or not, it's exciting to just see what happens in, you know, what's going down and who's the up-and-coming athlete right. and all that. And so, much like, you know, anywhere where football is culture. Mm-hmm. You have your star athlete. Right. And Darnett Williams, he was the star. Right. He was the star. And before I get too deep in this, I just want to say that this this episode originated from Murder Under the Friday Night Lights, which is on Discovery Plus. Mm-hmm. Not, I mean, we want to get paid, but honestly, y'all, Discovery Plus is life. Like, no if sense. you're a true crime junkie, you need that in your if life. you do not have Discovery Plus... You're missing it. Yes. You really are missing it. This this show is new. It's relatively new. It's only two seasons. Um, and it is binge-worthy, friends. Like, oh, yeah. You will get lost. And even your friends that are not true, like, true crime. Because my husband is not a true crime junkie But the all. sports the aspect. The sports element ties him yes, in. And yes. he's so, like, in tune. Um, but I will say... I just wanted to give that that plug that this is where this our you know research kind of mainly took place from this right. episode. So definitely go watch it. But back to the case. So he was the star athlete. Now Darnett, he was not like the biggest. He wasn't the strongest, but he had work ethic, which I love. I you know I tell my kids all the time you know because I feel like I have some talented kids when it comes to sports. But I tell them that like 
Hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. That's right. You know, so like hard work really can be the most successful, even if you have a very talented person, because he had that work ethic that he outworked his peers and it showed on the field. He was super fast and like his speed was incomparable. And he was on this Odie Wyatt team that had, you know, if you knew of this Odie Wyatt back in the early 2000s, like they were, you know, like late 90s, early 2000s, they were known as winners. Okay. They won championships. They were, I believe they didn't lose a game for like seven to eight years in a row. Like they were amazing. And they had some amazing talent and Darnett was one of them. Darnett ended up, you know, going to um, Oklahoma State University. Okay. Where he played and he, you know, continued to thrive. His high school football coach, Anthony Chris, like just raves about just how dedicated he was to the sport and how much he loved playing football and how that was his dream of going pro. Mm-hmm. And he was willing to do whatever to, to, to go pro. And then in 2005, he got his wish. He was drafted um, in the first round. He was picked second. And uh, he was drafted to the Denver Broncos. Denver Broncos. Denver Broncos. And what was really great is that one of his friends who also played for Oklahoma State University – and was also a Texan. Period. Shout out to Tatum Bell, who is a DeSoto alumni. You know? Right. You know, we, we're from DeSoto. Absolutely. And so we got to give, you know, so Tatum Bell, he was old, he was a little older than than uh, Darnett Williams. But uh, he, all, and he also went to Oklahoma State University. And he also went to the Denver Broncos. And so Darnett, like, just felt like he, you know, went and found family. Oh, really. that's so like, cool. Like, you know, he had this friendship with Tatum Bell. And Tatum, you know, it was it was on the documentary. And he was talking about how the Broncos were discussing whether or not they wanted to, to get uh, Darnett Williams. And he was like, yes, y'all get him and we're winning. Because he knew his work ethic. And he, you know, he was able to play with them. He was his teammate. He was his friend. And he knew the kind of guy that Darnett was. And... Sure enough, they drafted him, and it was everything was great. It was great, yeah. And the Broncos were like family, like the way that mm-hmm. Tatum Bell described them. They were like family, and Darnett fit right in. That's awesome. So on December thirty first, two thousand six, um, he obviously was playing for the Denver Denver Broncos. And just to touch just a little bit about how close he was to his family, as you can imagine, you you you're a draft pick. You got some money rolling in, and he immediately buys his grandmother a car, buys his mama a house, you know? Yeah, you know, this is what you do. Yeah, You dream of these moments. It's so funny because, like, you know, Darnett Williams grew up in the inner city. Yeah. Carter Park is not, you know, the... It's not Highland Park, right, no doubt. It's definitely not the nicest neighborhood, mm-hmm. but it was community. It was a village, and, and he grew up in the rough parts of Fort Worth, Te- Fort Worth Texas, and he wanted to get out, so he chose football as his, you know, avenue to get out of the inner city. And he promised himself, like, when I get out and I make it big, I'm going to give back to my mm-hmm. family. I'm not going to forget where my roots and where I came from. But it's really interesting because I just think that part of being successful for young kids 
is giving back to mom and dad, but specifically mom. Because even my oldest son is like, I'm going to make it to the NFL and I'm going to buy you a house, mom. I'm like, I Yeah, I mean, I mean, I told him, I was like, <laughs> I said, I said, Prince, you know, like when you make it to the NFL, just like give TT a shout out. He was like, TT, I'm going to give you some money. I said, what? I mean, I didn't <laughs> want that, but baby, I'll take you it. You know, I told him, I said, you don't need to buy me a house. You just need to, we need to make sure you you create generational wealth with this right, money that you're, right. you're going to accumulate. But I think, you know, to Darnett Williams, he was ready to give back to those that helped him. He understood that he's there because of these core people in his life, his grandma, mm-hmm. his mom. And he and that's that. a part of the black culture. I mean, I can't speak to, to other uh, ethnic groups, but in black culture, specifically uh, black people in America, well, that's something that we do. Like, shout out to mama. I'm going to put mama on because mama is the one who looked out for you. Right. She's the mom one who raised you. Right. And, I saw how hard mom worked right. so that I could have. And now that I am successful, I want to give her, you know, all the love. Right. She deserves. Absolutely. So fast forward to December 31st, 2006. Um, Darnett is playing for the Denver Broncos, doing well, as we've said. So he decides to bring out five of his friends from Fort Worth to celebrate with him on New Year's Eve. He wanted to party it up, treat his friends. And a lot of his friends were like, this is their first time flying. Because as we said, they're from an urban community and they just haven't flew before. You know, black people got something about flying. They just, you know, they just don't. Either they can't do it or they don't want to do it. And they do. But, I mean, you're more likely to crash in a car than you are an airplane. True. But, you know, so it was it was exciting for his friends. Uh, one of his friends just remarked about how they just didn't know how to dress for Denver. They they were kind of confused. It was like, man, I don't know what to do. Because like, you know, out here in Texas, why it does get cold, let's be very clear. Right. Okay, for my northerns on the, you know, podcast. It does get cold in Texas. Uh, and it does snow, and it does ice, and, and, I mean, we get freezing temperatures, but it doesn't stay like that long. Like, we literally will have two to three days of ice or snow, and then we're back in 70-degree weather. So, you know, you don't really need to have some of those core things you need to have in Denver. Like, if you're in Denver, you need to have snow boots, mm-hmm. you need to have snow suits, you need to layer. And I think that those kinds of things are foreign to a Texan. Oh, yeah. have never been outside. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It absolutely is. And so they were just very excited. Darnett was excited. His five friends were excited. So they get there. And I laughed watching this particular episode because, you know, in the 2000s, like tall tees were a thing and like airbrushing your T-shirt <laughs> to go to the club right. was a thing. And you can only get it airbrushed at the mall or like the swap meet. And, like, it was a thing. It was a vibe watching this documentary, this particular part. It just lets you know, like, this happened in the early 2000s. Right, mm-hmm. right. Definitely sent us down memory lane. So, they they arrive at the club. Uh, they pull up in a limo because Darnett went all the way out, you know. And it wasn't just Darnett and his friends from Texas. It was also his teammates as well. And Brandon, uh, all of his friends, I think... I can't remember the guy's name, but Brandon, it, Marshall? Brandon, Mar- Brandon Marshall and Javon Walker, they were there uh, and they were a part of the team. So everybody was just excited, having, a good, having they, a good time. They're bringing in the new year and you're bringing in the new year with those that are closest to you, your teammates and your your lifelong childhood best friends. Right. And so it was a, it was a vibe and it was a good time and they were just enjoying 
the close of one year and the beginning of another. Absolutely. So they are, you know, attracting all the attention because, you know, they dress different and, you know, they dress like Texas folks. And I got it. I have to highlight this. They dress like Texas folk and everybody's trying to figure out what is it about what is it about uh, these these guys? You know, they're standing out from the crowd, right? Because that's that's just a part of our Southern culture here in Texas, you know. So they had a very, very good time, and they're leaving the club. And actually, footage is seen of them leaving the club. But as they get into the car and actually drive off, all of a sudden, you just hear pop, 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 pop. And so there is obviously... A shooting that's happening and in the inside of that moment his friend is describing it and he says he instantly felt something hit his side and he it was hot it was heat and his friend got hit and in the inside of that moment if you can just imagine you're leaving a club having a good time and then all of a sudden shots ring out and then you're shot it's very very difficult and the car, the limo driver, like, hits an embankment, and the car stops, and everybody inside of the vehicle is screaming. One friend is shot, and the other person who was shot was Darnett. And unfortunately, Darnett was killed that night. He was only 24 years old. So... Police arrive on scene. Investigators are anxious to see what's going on because they soon find out, oh, my gosh, this is a star player who was involved. And so they, you know, they hear music playing inside of the limo, rap music playing inside of the limo. Um, and this is how they describe it, guys. This is not my <laughs> description. And I just think it's very interesting that they said, we pull up to the scene and there's just rap music blasting from the limo. And in my mind, I'm like, why Why is that important? Because they never it's, it's interesting. I wondered highlighted it was, why it was, that was important. No, they didn't. And they also mentioned it in some uh, additional research that I read, like when I was just, you know, the documentary is one avenue that we research, and then we also, you know, do additional research to see if there's any additional pieces and holes that we may be able to fill in and color to be able to bring you the totality of the story. They It was mentioned in another article as well, and I was like, what was the point of telling me that rap music was still blasting other than to just describe the scene? Because I do think that sometimes it's what leaves the biggest impression for you, what triggers your mind to that memory. And that may have been that that thing, that the music was blasting. It could have felt really eerie. Like here it is at night, it's snow on the ground. There's this big SUV that's pulled off, you know, veered off to the side, has hit, you know, in a very chaotic way. They're not, it's not like it's, it's in a way that seems off. Doors are open and all you hear is rap music and it's eerie because it's probably quiet outside of the rap music. So maybe that's why. But that I could be it. it but that, I, I, that, that detail was mentioned. Right. But I really kind of felt like it was high key uh, racial for me um, because it's all of these black men in this car with black people on New Year's Eve and they pull up to the scene. They find that there's 15 rounds that were actually fired into the vehicle. 
And um, it, the, the shell casings they found were they belonged to a 40 caliber gun. So they were four, 40 caliber bullets on the ground. Now the three, there were actually three victims. It was Darnette Williams, a female victim who wasn't uh, named. She was grazed on the top of her head by a bullet. And then his friend, Brandon Flowers, who was shot in the thigh. Now, as police um, are on scene, they immediately start to question everybody after getting everyone to the necessary um, hospital so that they could get the medical treatment that they needed. Um, but they start to question them as if they're suspects. And I think for me, once you know that little nugget that they start to question them like they're subjects, in addition to... Hip hop music was blasting <laughs> coming out of the truck. I mean, to me, it felt a little bit sus to me. But um, all the all of the friends they remained calmed and they didn't. They were just really trying to see was it a random shooting or was it um, was it motivated by some outside influence. What happened? Did they belong to a gang? Because one thing I can say about Denver that I think most people do not know is. Denver has a high gang population, and I didn't find that out myself until I went to, um, when I was attending Tuskegee University, my roommate told me that, because she was from Denver, and I was like, oh, wow, really? I had no idea. Like, when I think of Denver, I don't think of Bloods and Crips. I think of Cali when I think of that, right? But um, the police were really just trying to figure out what, what happened. So, MD, can you tell us a little bit about what happened that night? What went on? So they begin to investigate, which is what, you know, good policing does. And they discover that all of the bullets that were fired came from the outside of the vehicle into the vehicle. And so I want to I want to make I want to kind of make emphasis on that to, to go to your point about you were like, why are they interviewing them? Or like just the combination of the rap music plus them interviewing them. I think. That there, I, I definitely am not saying it wasn't racial because it could have been, you know, you just never know in this this culture uh, that we live in. However, I do want to say that good policing looks at everybody and says you're a suspect until I rule you out, and so they weren't sure was were these bullets fired from inside out or outside in or a combination of both. And, it, and until we understand that, until the ballistics, you know, rule that out, we've got to take everybody into consideration. And so they were able to rule out that this did not come from anybody in the vehicle. So if they were in the vehicle, they were not a part of the actual firing of the weapon, right? And so they go back to the club to identify, did, were there any cameras, you know, around that could give us any clue as to what, was there somebody following them? Did it, was there an incident that occurred? But the camera footage was really kind of grainy. It, it does, you see it, you're able to see it. They they did show on this documentary the actual camera footage. And you do see, you know, Darnett Williams and his group of friends getting walking out of the club, getting into the limo and driving off. But there wasn't like an actual incident that would show the police that, oh, this may have been the result of this incident, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, they're they're having to, at this point, really talk to his friends, 
And they called them the Fort Worth Five because it was five five of them. And, and so they go to Darnett's friends. And you have to imagine Darnett's friends are probably completely traumatized. Here they are planning to come out to have fun with their friend on a New Year's Eve night. And it ends in tragedy. Their friend who brought them out here is now dead. And they're having to communicate that back to all right. the family and right. the friends that are still back in Texas. So it's it's de- it's definitely traumatic for them, but they're able to talk to the police and they're wanting to talk to the police because they're wanting to figure out what they don't know what happened. They don't understand what happened and they want to be able to give the police as much information as they possibly can to get this solved, you know, as quick as possible. And so his friends, you know, they recap the night mm-hmm. to the police. You know, they got there having a good time. But when they walked in, they said that when they were standing in line, you know, Darnett Williams being a Denver Denver Bronco, and there were a couple other Denver Broncos that were with them, their fame and their notoriety moved them to the front of the line. And we all know what that looks like, right? You know, if Beyonce is in the line, she's not going to have to wait in the line. Mm-hmm. They're going to pull Beyonce out the line. They're going to let Beyonce get in. Well, there were two gang members that were in the line. They didn't know they were gang members at the time, but there were these two guys. From Trey Cripps. From, yeah. And, and at the time, that information is not known when they're mm-hmm. talking to the police. They don't know. They just know that here's these two guys that seem to have a lot of money. Right. They and and by seem to have a lot of money, just meaning they present themselves as like with the chain and the, you know, they got an entourage and they look like they're coming in with some some money. And they're they were upset that or seemed upset and made a comment like we got money, too. We can skip to the front of the line, too. And so that comment was thrown out at this crew. Right. Darnett Williams, Brandon. Uh, Marshall and and the whole crew that was with them. Now Darnett Williams, he doesn't say anything back to that. He doesn't engage in that. We, as far as we know, he may not have even known that that incident happened. But Brandon Marshall did engage. He, right, because it he was the one who turned around and and he talked. turned around and was like, "Well, too bad you're st- still in line." And I don't know what he said. Well, he, he said say, he, he said he they did. He, they said, well, we got money too. And he said, oh, okay, cool. You got money. When we get in, drinks on you. And it was a kind of a funny thing, but all of these little minor incidents that MDR is about to talk about, just the culmination of all of them turned into something big, unfortunately. Right. So he talks back, he says something fly to them. So what, what Steph said, he said, he says this fly thing back and that bruise, right? With these guys who already just are not taking well to the fact that they were able to skip the line and they didn't. Right. So, you know, the the friends continue to tell the police, but we go inside, we're in VIP, we're drinking, we're having a good time. Then they pop some champagne, you know, because that's what you do at the end of of one year to toast the beginning of a new year. And specifically, it was Brandon Marshall and his cousin that were popping the champagne. Right. Okay, so it was not... Darnett and his friends. No, but champagne was mm-hmm. popped. And when they popped the champagne, Brandon Marshall and his friends, mm-hmm. some of it got on these two men oh, that had already been up in arms about 
them skipping and Brandon mm-hmm. says some fly words back to him. And so now, I mean, like, what are the odds, right? Like that this same thing <laughs> with these same men. Mm. And and I don't know if the popping of the bottles and the spraying was an intentional act. It didn't seem like it based on the way that the Fort Worth Five described it. Mm-hmm. It was just one of those collateral, I'm popping champagne and you and the champagne sprays and you get a little extra on you. Right, right, right. So this is what the Fort Worth Five explains to the police. We leave. Shortly after that, we all leave. And then as they're leaving out of the club, Brandon Marshall, again, gets... And do you remember, Steph, what was said or that just there well, was like like, a little w- bit of a hit, like a, right. a bump? Okay, so while they when they popped the champagne, when Brandon Marshall and his cousins popped, popped the champagne in the VIP, it got on the guys. And so the guys got up in arms mm-hmm. and they confronted Brandon. Now, Darnett, who was the peacemaker, the leader... Says, hey, you know, y'all, we didn't, you know, he's trying to like alleviate this, diffuse the situation, alleviate this tension that is brewing. But Brandon's talking back, and so is the other guy. So at that point, the Fort Worth Five and Darnett say, you know, it's time to go. It's clearly time to leave. Darnett Williams realizes that it's impossible to to diffuse, not Brandon. He knows he can diffuse Brandon, but he can't diffuse. These other two men. And the guys were asked to leave the VIP area, right? So then shortly after that, security comes and gets the 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 two guys. But then Darnett and his friends say, you know, it's the end of the night. Like, let's just go. It's it's too much going on here. So Darnett and his friends, along with Brandon Marshall and his little entourage, get up and leave. As they're leaving outside of the club, one of the guys starts back to starts the argument back up. Right. Brandon Marshall engages again. Okay. And this starts an argument. At this point, Darnett gets in the limo with his friends and his entourage because, remember, he didn't come with Brandon Marshall. Brandon Marshall just happened to be there. He was there. He gets in and he leaves. And Brandon Marshall leaves, but not with Darnett Williams and his crew. And... So this is what the Fort Worth Five explains to the police. This is this is the night as we see it. And as soon as we left, as soon as we turn the corner and drive down the block, the shooting occurs. So the, the police take all this information, you know, in, they're writing it down. And then they go and they start to ask questions to other witnesses that were at the, the club that night. And they said that they did witness this white SUV Tahoe uh yeah it was a white SUV which was mm-hmm. a Tahoe following in the direction of the limo okay and so you know now there the police know that they should be looking for this white Chevy Tahoe right and they actually are able to get the license plates they pull the license plate from that particular Tahoe so now they're on alert they put out a boho uh, a furlough and they you know are looking for this Tahoe they're trying to figure out who does this belong to and it actually belonged to a man named Brian Hicks and what they find out about Brian Hicks is that he's a drug dealer known drug dealer of the Trey Crips in the Denver area so as I've told you before the Crips and the Bloods are very active in the Denver area and 
Brian Hicks was like an enforcer. Yes, he was a drug dealer, but he was the person that you did not want to see because he basically like enforced the hits. Right. He out was basically on the person that if you saw him, you knew that you hadn't paid your debt or something was going on. Yeah. But Brian Hicks was actually in in jail for murder. Yeah, he was he was in jail for murder when this occurred. So they knew at this point that okay, Brian didn't have anything to do with it more than likely because he was in I mean he was in jail. He didn't have any direct influence on it, but they start to look at his associates and, um, you know, they, they figure out, they're starting to put the pieces together. And this is when they actually find the Tahoe. They are able to locate it, but it's not white. It is not white at all. I mean, you can see that it has some remnants of it being white. Somebody spray painted and a very poor spray painting job. We're gonna we're gonna link the picture of it. I'm going to get that picture for you guys because when it you see it, terrible. you're gonna like like seriously. If you were really trying to hide the fact that right this is no no longer a white SUV, all you had to do was take it in and get a paint job. <laughs> and they had the money. Arguably, they had yeah. the money to afford a paint job. Mm-hmm. So this no longer white SUV spray painted black. You know, poorly spray painted black SUV mm. is on the side of like just kind of randomly just on the side of the road, not too far away from where this event happened. Right, and even more dumb. Yes, and it still had the license plate on it, which is how they were able to locate it. So, like, if you're trying to hide the fact that this is no longer or this is not the SUV that you're looking for, shouldn't we be like destroying the SUV, the plates? We should be making sure that it doesn't look white. Maybe putting on some new plates. Remember that one um, story we did, Steph, Mm -hmm. where the girl did everything to make the vehicle no longer look like the vehicle? She actually did take the plates (laughs) off. Yeah, which is smart. (laughs) (laughs) You had to take the plates off. Maybe they combine their efforts here. Right. (laughs) But then again, y'all just need to be in jail. Okay. No, good good thing that they were horrible. Yes. But, you know, they're they're putting pieces together, but at the same time, they don't really have any body other than they believe that it is you know brian brian hicks associates and you know of course brian hicks ain't talking to the police so the code of silence that we mentioned before uh that is not exclusive to the black culture but is very prominent in our culture that i don't want to say anything like i might know who did it but i don't want the crips to come and kill me you know i don't want any i don't want no smoke right i may know something that could help solve this, but I'm not going to be the one to snitch. You know, snitches get stitches is mm-hmm. is what is taught in our culture. And specifically, you make it bigger than that, even that. Like, you make it, I just, I don't want my life in jeopardy. I don't want them coming after me. Mm-hmm. Yes, I want them to, I don't want them to get away with this, but I, I'm not trying to get in the middle of this. Right. Right. And so that is kind of why they don't really get any real leads. They did find someone who said the person who was driving the vehicle had a ponytail. But, you know, I mean, that's that's about all they knew. Right. Mm -hmm. So the case grows cold. And four months later, the police actually arrest about 70 gang members and affiliates. Now, the person with the ponytail they identify who it is. I can't remember the nickname of this guy right now, but he um, is in Mexico. They do know that. 
and they start putting pressure on everybody that they uh, arrest. And the, the arrest that they made with the 70 gang plus members and the affiliates was not about the murder, right? But because they have these arrests, they're able to put pressure on the people who were inside of the gang to try to figure out what happened. So on June 2007, or in June 2007, the guy who they were looking for with the ponytail actually arrives back in the U.S., um, and he's looking at some lengthy time, not just for possible involvement in Darnett Williams' um, murder, but for drug trafficking. So, you know, they actually get him and they arrest him for the drug trafficking charges. And that's when they say, hey, you know, I know you don't want all this all this time you finna get, child. Right. You want to cut a deal? You want to cut a deal? And that's what they do. <laughs> that's, what they, they, that's what they do to get you to talk. And and. That works more often than you would believe. Because when you start talking about having to be put away for the rest of your life, when you see that, hey, I could cut a deal and get 15, I could cut a deal and get 10 versus 40 mm. versus 50, you know, you're, you know, you're having to, at that point, look at, if I got, you got kids, do Why? I want to ever see my kids again? Do I ever want to get out of here? You know, and so you do what's necessary. Right. Even if that is snitching. Yes. So that happens. And, you know, of course, at that point, you know, he says, listen, it's Willie Hicks y'all looking for. <laughs> I'll tell you. It's you want to know and here it is. <laughs> y'all, I'm trying to taper my laugh because I can get so loud. My mom was like, you know what? Steph, you know, you be getting so excited, girl. Calm down on the life. Okay, Ma, I hear you. I'm trying. I'm pulling myself away from this mic. So it's Willie Hicks. And Willie is actually the one who was arguing and doing all of that. I mean, so was this guy with the ponies. Y'all did not write down this man's name. This yeah, no, his his name was Lil Lil Will his name was Lil Willie and Daniel Harris. Daniel, Daniel Harris. Harris. I'm so sorry. He's Willie. Right, right. So Daniel Harris is like, listen, you know, he was doing all the talking and he's the one who shot into the vehicle. Um, Lil Willie is the one that shot into the vehicle. So say that again for me. So Daniel Harris has the ponytail. Okay, Daniel Harris. And Lil Willie is the one that you're saying shot into the vehicle. Right. 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 So Daniel Harris is the one that, that they finally got to talk by offering him a deal. And he said... It was Lil Willie. It was Lil Willie. Lil Willie. Lil, 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 Lil Willie. Lil, Lil. Lil Willie. Finna go. Is out here shooting in the vehicles and changing the color of the SUV. Right. And he's the one who dismantled and spray painted the vehicle. He lost his temper because he felt like he was just ultimately disrespected. It was nothing else but that. And he wasn't going after Darnett Williams. No, he, he was going after Brandon Marshall because that's the one who was doing all this. Back and forth. Back and forth. But what he did not see when he came out of the club, because as I said, when we said they came out of the club to leave, to exit, after Lil Will and Daniel were outside and they got into another altercation, Darnett splits, but they don't see Darnett walk away. And they don't see, so he they just assumed that Brandon and Darnett they were all together right because they they were together in the right. actual club so he's thinking 
they're together, they're leaving together. So he sees Darnett's crew getting into the limo and he's just thinking, yeah, Brandon's already in there and right. I got you. Mm-hmm. I'm going after you. I'm going after you. That's mm-hmm. who he wanted. Right. Okay. So what happened? So they, they're able to arrest Lil Wheelie. Well, and he was actually already arrested. Yeah, he was arrested for yeah, drug trafficking. He was a part of that. Right, he was a part of the... And they had actually... They were actually able to arrest him shortly after, but they, they couldn't hold him on anything related to this case. They were able to hold him on other things. They weren't the able to... The drug trafficking. Right. So, they were able to now take him to trial. Okay. Okay, they, they confronted him with Daniel Harris's... Testimony. Right. This is the evidence we have mm-hmm. against you. Mm-hmm. This is what we believe happened. We we're siding with Daniel. We believe what Daniel is saying. And Lil Willie is like, no, that didn't happen. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. Take me to trial. And so he goes to trial in October 2008 and was found guilty. Uh, and he received life without the possibility of parole. And did Brandon Marshall, did he testify? Brandon Marshall did testify okay. at his trial. And it was a very heartbreaking uh, testimony. And you can actually, you know, YouTube that and pull that whole testimony up. You can also, you know, pull the transcripts up of mm-hmm. that testimony. But it was very heartbreaking because Brandon Marshall, you know, feels guilty for what happened to Darnett. Because what we titled this case was he did everything right. There was nothing technically wrong with what Darnett Williams did. Mm -hmm. He was treating his friends to a good time. They left. They were not, you know, drunk and out of their minds. They, You know, they had a good time at the club. They left. They had a limo. And he's just trying to go. He tried to defuse the situation, and he wasn't able to. Mm -hmm. So he recognized, I got to go. We need to leave Mm because I don't want to be a part of this. Darnett Williams, his cousins were on the documentary, and they spoke about how he stayed away from this. He stayed away from this life, from that gang life, mm-hmm. from going down the wrong road, getting involved in drugs. He didn't want any parts of that. He wanted to be on the right path, the straight path, the hardworking path. And he, so he, true to his nature, right. went in the opposite direction of, of that. And yet here he was the one that ended up dead. And while Brandon Marshall doesn't deserve to be dead either. No. Because certainly this was petty and insignificant and really just minor in the Mm -hmm. grand scope of things. But Brandon felt so responsible. Yeah. And at the, the trial, he testified to his part, meaning how he got into this. And kept re-engaging. Re-engaging. Right. And I believe that part of the reason why they were able to find him guilty, not just because of Daniel Harris's testimony, because obviously Daniel Harris's testimony was, was, you know, very damning as well, but it's also because Brandon Marshall was able to get up on the stand. So I think Mm -hmm. Brandon Marshall contributed to Lil Willie getting the justice or Darnett Williams receiving the justice that he deserved. Right. And so we really didn't touch on Darnett's funeral, but they did hold his funeral, obviously before this trial and all of that. But um, his family just was really heartbroken. The people who spoke from his family were his female cousins. They were on the documentary and they spoke about how 
they have to relive his death. It's an ongoing experience. You know, they never feel, they always feel his absence. And he was taken away from his children. He was taken away from his family. And Tatum Bell actually spoke at his funeral. And he just, he tried. They actually have footage of him at the funeral. And he just tried so much to keep his composure. But, you know, he he ended up breaking down. And I think that speaks to the ripple effect of murder. It just, it continues, it just, it doesn't just affect D-Wheel, it affected his friends, future generations, family. It took him away from a sport that we weren't even really able to really fully enjoy his talent and to see how far he could go because he was taken from this world. And many people, including his coach, said, you know, he did everything right. He was a leader. He was a mediator. And you saw all of that reflected in his actions on that particular night. And they also remarked that he was the glue of his family and neighborhood. So that's the end of Darnett Williams' case. He did everything right. He did everything right. Let's get into our takeaway. Favorite part of the show. So, I, MD, go ahead. I'm going to let you go. I honestly, I feel stumped, much like how you were on our case about the Armstrong family. Right. It's very difficult to have a takeaway in this case, specifically when... He did do everything right. I mean, what what can you do? I think the only thing that I would, would say here, and I, I don't even think that this is something he didn't do, but I think that you move in the opposite direction of this kind of mess and foolishness. And if you've ever been to a club, if you've ever gone to a bar, you've ever been out at night where drinks is prevalent and heavy and you've you've witnessed this. You may have even, you may be sitting in the car listening to this or wherever you listen to your podcast saying, I've been a part of that. Like I've almost got into a tussle or did get into a tussle at one of these events. And I think you never know when somebody can be crazier than what you are. Right? That's right. You know, and that's not, it wasn't D. Will, it wasn't Darnett Williams. That's not what he did. But I'm, I'm just speaking to the bigger picture of maybe the Brandon Marshalls of of those of us that are listening, where you get super offended when somebody does something crazy and you snap. But sometimes you just have to push pause and say, you know what, that's not worth it to engage in that because I don't know where that could go. Hmm. You know, because I'm not trying to lose my life behind he pushed me or uh, behind he cut in line in front of me or they sprayed some drink and some drink spilled on me. Nobody wants to get any drink spilled on them. Yes, it's offensive. Yes, it's frustrating. Yes, you got some idiots out here that actually do stuff like that on purpose. But it's not worth it in the end. I watched this TikTok the other day. This is not related to murder. Mm-hmm. Where this girl was re- recording a Karen. And if you don't know what a Karen is and you're listening to this, this podcast, we encourage you to go Google what a Karen is but she was recording a Karen who was trying to was mad because she got a parking spot that the Karen wanted to get and the girl that was recording decided let me get in my car and lock the door Smart. and I'm gonna record but I'm gonna get in my car and lock the door now this woman I'm sure was not afraid of this Karen in the sense of her beating her up or you know like any of that but she understood what could happen. 
And this Karen literally, on like, on video, walks up to the car and tries to open the door. Yeah. Like, tries to open this girl's door. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you see, you go through and you look at the comments, which, you know, I'm a comment stalker. I love looking at comments. And people were like, this is exactly why it was good that you did that, because you don't know what could have happened. If you had not at that door locked, she could have opened it. Then what's she doing? Trying to, because she didn't want the lady recording her. So she was trying to get her phone. And then who are they going to side with? You never know. Maybe they would have sided with the girl recording, but maybe they wouldn't have. And my point is, is that you don't know what it could escalate to. Sometimes it's better to just get in, remove yourself, drive off. It's not worth the parking spot. Even in that case, it's not Mm -hmm. worth the parking spot. It's not worth, you know, making sure it's known that you spilled something on me and I'm going to let you know, you better not never do that again. Mm -hmm. You know, because Mm -hmm. you don't know what, you don't know what somebody could do. You don't know if they got a gun in their car, if they're crazy enough to follow you and shoot bullets into a vehicle full of people that had ultimately nothing to do with that scuffle or that interaction. Mm -hmm. And even if Brandon Marshall was in there, like, you didn't fire specifically at Brandon Marshall. You fired randomly into the vehicle. You don't know who you were going to get. Were you going to hit Brandon? Even if he was in there. Mm -hmm. So I guess my takeaway would be don't, you know, take a moment, pause, and think of the bigger picture. Having kids, because I have a hot temper. I can lose it like that, right? I'm that person. I'm the Brandon Marshall. I can kind of, like, have those blackout moments sometimes. Like, that's that was me in my younger age. And now I try to remember, I have four kids. I have a husband. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, it's not just me, you know, that. And then, and, and I don't know what could happen. And even if it was just me, right, like, is that is that worth what could happen? Mm. This is an extreme case, but is it worth what could happen? And you have to think about those extreme cases. So that would be my takeaway. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with your takeaway. Um, and I, I guess my takeaway is very is reflective of that of what you just said. Um, but also, my takeaway is more of just a synopsis of of Darnett Williams and who he was. And I think the takeaway is, you know, those leader, those qualities about Brandon, I think, I'm not Brandon, about Darnett that I, I just admired a lot of his qualities. And I hope to be able to point back to this story and tell my kids that, you know what, this was a, he, he was a resilient man. First of all, he beat the odds, right? He beat the odds. He came from an urban community. And he was able to go off to college, get an education, and go and pursue his dreams of football. And he exuded um, what I would like to teach my children, which is you can have all the talent in the world, but if you don't have a growth mindset and know that challenges are good and they are the pathways to, to success, um, you know, what, what, what are you really doing with talent? And so I just, I just want to highlight who he was as a man because I, it's so sad that he was taken away for nothing because Lil Willie didn't, he felt like his manhood was insulted. <laughs> like, that just baffles me. And it's never going to cease all the true crime cases that I do. It never, I'm always baffled by the reasons why people decide to kill. Like, I'm just like, really? That was solvable a whole nother way. That was solvable another way. 
And so, um, you know, I'm sure Brandon Marshall is going to forever live with that regret of, uh, of engaging in somebody who doesn't operate with, you know, rational skills, with logic. Because for him, it was, you got into the club before me. Yeah. Sit with that, y'all. Right. And I think Brandon Marshall, hopefully, my if, if he's listening or anybody that knows him is listening, my hope for him is that he honors Darnett Williams by not engaging in that kind of behavior anymore, by being more of the D-Will that is going to diffuse situations instead of mm-hmm. engaging in it. I think that's how you honor him. Mm-hmm. It's not Brandon Marshall's fault. That no, because he was dealing with an it. idiot. You're, it was this idiot, little mm-hmm. Willie. His incompetence. Right. <laughs> right. So that is our case for today. We encourage you guys heavily that if you've enjoyed the show, please make sure that you share and that you like and subscribe. Listen to us on all platforms. And more importantly, make sure you leave us a review. Um, I would like to just shout out to one of our one of our OGs, Ayana. I want to shout out to you, Ayana. We owe her a gift card, MD. She has been trying to get in touch with me. <laughs> and if it was not for the fact that I checked our frequently asked questions on TikTok, I would not have saw her. Yeah. We will be getting that to you. We have it. Like, yeah, we here. have it, Ayana girl. We talked and she was I so have your gift card. So she we'll was so humble about it. Like she did not, she was just like, oh girl, thanks for getting back with me. I said, girl, you are the real like old. That. I love right, that. I need to channel more of that energy. Right. Because <laughs> she's D Will. She's D Will. Right, she she could have went off. She could have sounded exactly. off. She, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I'm usually the Brandon Marshall in that situation. <laughs> Me too. I know you saw this email. I know you saw my TikTok. Right. But shout out to Ayana, girl. Your your, uh, stuff is on the way. I'm going to give MD your address so she can get that in the mail for you. But until next time, friends, this is Murder in the Black. Bye. Bye.